Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil which is just opposite from the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, Your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in dominic activities, hostilities, quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other kind of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Hence there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. In the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at our life together, what it means to be the people of God. And so this morning we're looking at Galatians 5, and, and Paul is describing how God's people are to relate to one another. And he extorts us to serve one another in love, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this morning we're going to unpack how to do that. And to wrestle with some of the reasons of why we think, or why it's so hard. Why do we struggle with actually loving those around us? It sounds easy. It's easier said than done. But when the rubber hits the road, it's really hard to love. So I want to look at some core verses, which was just uh, prior to the verses Keith read out. Verses uh, seven, uh, 13, rather, sorry. If you've got your Bibles, please uh, open them up and we're going to stay in Galatians 5. If uh, you, my brothers and sisters, verse 13, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. These are Jesus' words that Paul, who wrote the letter to the Galatian church, 
uh, is quoting here. And of all of God's commands of how we are to live can be summarized by this one command. So this is really important. This is, this is key for us as followers of Jesus to get this and live it out. So before we define maybe what it is and, and how to go about it, let's look at what it's not. This is not a command to self-love. This is not saying your capacity to love others is to the extent that you love yourself. The self-love is, is an assumption. It's not a command. So the command to love your neighbour uh, is, is it's, it's not necessarily a person living next door to you, but it's anybody who comes across your path. You know, you may have heard it said that you can't look after others until first you look after yourself. You know, when you are in, in an aeroplane and the flight attendant uh, run you through the emergency procedures and they'll say something like this. In the unlikely event of sudden cabin pressure, loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically deploy from the compartments above your seats. Remain seated and pull the mask towards you and start the flow of oxygen. Place the mask over your nose and mouth and secure it with elastic band and breathe normally. Please make sure to secure your own mask before assisting others. Even if you are travelling with children, make sure your mask is on first before helping them. You need to look after yourself before you can help others. As noble as this sounds when it comes to helping others, I actually don't think the illustration really transfers to the reality of personal relationships. Self-love tells us that we need to put ourselves first and only then seek to serve to love one another. But in a culture of burnout, of extreme busyness, of overworking, we use the self-love as a self-protection mechanism and our capacity to love others actually shrinks down. Paul explains what he means by love your neighbour as yourself in the sentence before it, to humbly serve one another. This is to put others before yourself. Self-love, to love others, sounds noble or reasonable, but I think it shrinks our capacity to love. And we'll get on why I think that later on. So what does it mean to love your neighbour? Who is your neighbour? It's anybody. It's everybody. It's the person sitting next to you right now. It's the person next door. And, and I think it's as simple as what many of us were taught as children. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Love others the way that you would want to be loved. Something many of us have heard many times, but it's easier said than done. So my hope is that this morning we're going to unpack how we can overcome this, how we can truly love one another in a way that is humble, that puts others before ourselves, but is also not self-destructive. It doesn't burn us out or, or drive us into the ground. The first thing we need to grasp to love one another is this. The power to love one another comes from faith. The power to love one another comes from faith. Let's go back a, uh, a few verses to verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith through love. 
Faith energizes love. The word there in the uh, working, which is translate in the ESV translation, uh, expresses itself in the NIV translation. It's it's got this root word, uh, energio, and it means to activate or, or to to energize. So love is activated. It's energized. It's it's worked out by our faith. So our capacity to love is not to the extent of our self-love. Our capacity to love is actually to the extent of our faith. Have you ever tried to do something that you just didn't have the energy to carry it out? Like maybe you got a gym membership at the start of this year, you went on January 1, and then you're just like, oh, nah, I've never been back since. Or, or sometimes like we just feel like this a drained battery or a car running on fumes. The, the fuel gauge is just constantly on empty. We're just exhausted from being too busy. We're under too much pressure. We're under, there's too much stress with family and work. We find it too hard to serve one another in love because we just don't have the energy. If you keep driving your car with a fuel tank on empty, you'll keep finding yourself stranded. And you'll be stranded in your relationships. There's two things that you can do to a car if you keep having the, the tank, fuel tank on empty. You can increase the capacity of the fuel tank. So when you fill it up, you can fill up more. And the second thing is you can stop more regularly to get fuel. Don't wait till it goes all the way down. If you want to love others more, we need to go deeper in the love of God. Do the deep internal work. Build our capacity to love. Wrestle with our fears, with our, our struggles, with our, our deep sins. and Develop our capacity to love God and love others. Second one is, is to, you want to love others more, you can re- more regularly encounter the love of God. In your own time with God, yes, but also as me, we are doing right now, meeting together. Worship services or connect groups meet more regularly to experience the love of God. Now the temptation this morning, I think, is to walk away with simply to keep prioritizing your relationship with God. And yes, that is great. But I think we find ourselves back at the tenuous illustration about oxygen masks. I'll just focus on my relationship with God and yet again I'll become self-focused and functionally it's the same as self-love. And our capacity to love shrinks more and more and more. I think as a church we have a greater capacity to love than we realise. I know many people here who, who go above and beyond to love one another and it's amazing But as a church, we have a greater capacity to love than we realize. And it's not because I think you're all modern day saints, as wonderful as you all are. It's because we take this command to love one another and to our shame, we only do it when we feel like it. We have this romanticized idea of what love is. It's reduced to something that is simply a feeling. So when we don't feel like it, we don't do it. We might only stick to the people who are in our circle. You know, our group is already 
kind of full, feel free to come to church events, but our friendship circle, that's closed, sorry. I don't have capacity for any more friends. There will be you know, people who are difficult to love. Maybe it's obvious because their personality just grates against you. Or there's been disagreements in the past, or there's relational tensions there. That'll be obvious if they're difficult to love, but maybe it's less obvious. Maybe you've actually never met because you always sit on that side of the room, and you always sit on that side of the room, and you never kind of meet in the middle. Maybe it's less obvious. Maybe you're just so busy, you literally just haven't had the time to invest into other people. Maybe you feel it's so hard to love others because you don't feel like you've got anything else to give. You don't have anything of value to, to contribute. But Paul says in Corinthians 12 that every member of the body and every part, has, whilst having different roles, is as important as the next. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Every single person designed by God to have a purpose within God's family. We each have the capability to love one another in significant and meaningful and purposeful ways. So when we don't feel like loving, when there's a difficult person to love, well, when we're burnt out or too busy, when we feel like we've got nothing to contribute, we're not exempt from this command to love one another, to humbly serve in love. A.W. Tozer in his book Alive in the Spirit says this about love. You can will to love people. Love is not a feeling. Love is a willing. And the Lord says to love. He did not mean to merely feel love for them. And C.S. Lewis writes something similar in Mere Christianity. Christian love either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. That means that our duty to serve one another in love is not dependent on how we feel. It's a choice. So loving when we don't feel like it, loving when we're on empty, that's really hard. I'm not sure if there's actually more, many more things that are more difficult emotionally, spiritually to do than to love when you just don't feel like you can anymore. When, you, when you're all depleted, when you fill tanks on empty. But if we use Paul's categories here, we've, we might feel, find ourselves in, a, in the position of, you know, they've hated me. They, they, that person has sown discord. They are, they are jealous of me. They've created factions and dissensions. They have used me in their selfish ambition. They are conceited and arrogant. I can't fathom to love them because they are not loving me. No one is loving me. I, I, my tank is too empty. It's dried up. I can't keep loving. I can't choose love. You know, people will always fail in their love towards us. Sometimes it might be a significant failing. Sometimes it might be a failing that goes over for a really long, significant period of time. But if we cannot love when others are failing in their love to us, it demonstrates that our source of love is not God. If we want to increase our capacity to love, 
We need to abandon our desires to get from other people because we feel we need it. It's only when we recognize this as a lie, it's not true. It is written, Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Only when we abandon our reliance on on needing comfort, needing success, needing security, needing approval or, or power from others, only then are we truly free to love without the chains of unhealthy dependence on other people. We are to depend fully on God alone. Not a pastor, not a family, not a close friend. Only fully on God alone. What I'm not saying, I want to be really clear, I'm not saying don't reach out. I'm not saying when you're struggling or you're in need to, to just say, you know, I've got God, so I, don't, I just need to deal with this on my own. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. God's desire is to use the body, to, to use the church to, to love and serve one another. We can't just shut off ourselves. Please do reach out if you're struggling. What I am saying is this. Our own unmet needs do not excuse us from loving one another. Because the power to love one another comes from our faith in Jesus, not from other people. You might think, well, isn't it kind of hypocritical or disingenuous to to love when you don't feel like it? Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. So if you know and love God, you have been set free. You are under grace. So why would you use your freedom to indulge? Maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is, why do we not want to love God? one another? Why do we so often prefer to go into self-preservation or self-indulgence? Why do we find it so hard to will to love, to choose love? You know, for example, why do we choose to sow discord amongst people by feeding the gossip, the rumor mill? Why do we use our freedom to sin to the detriment and destruction of those that we are called to love? We feel... We need, we need what we are getting through our self-indulgence. So we feel that we need it. And so we're going to self-indulge. You talk about, so if we continue on with this gossip theme, you talk about someone in a way that makes them seem, be seen in a bad light. And you might do that because you're getting that validation or approval uh, and, and you feel in that moment that's what you need. And in that moment, gossiping becomes your functional saviour. Gossiping becomes your provider, the mechanism that meets your needs. It becomes your God. So no, it's not hypocritical to practice self-control instead of gossiping because you are living under grace. You know the way of God is love and it is good and right to choose that. 
You know, if you're struggling with some of Paul's lists here. And, and interesting, most of these lists, these are personal issues. They are relational issues. The acts of the flesh are obvious. They're sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are, most of these are relational issues. And in order to not use our, our freedom for sin, we must instead use it for love. And we need to be reminded that we are not under the law. If you are in Christ, you are under grace. Sin is not your master. See, in the co- context of Galatians here, there's this controversy. Do Gentiles, that is people who are, who are not Jewish, need to be circumcised? Circumcision being the sign of God's people given to Abraham to set them apart from the world. And this group of false teachers are telling the Galatian church that in order to be saved, the men must get circumcised. And Paul is saying in the first half of chapter 5, no, you are saved by faith, not by what you do. Don't take on this burden that is not required of you. It does not make you righteous before God. We skip on to verse 6. Paul says in Christ, circumcision, it has no value. The only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Living under the law, it does not count towards our righteousness. Meaning that we cannot earn our standing before God if I just pull myself up, if I just get myself together, if I just do these religious things, God will accept me. No. If we think our good works saves us, our motivation for love is distilled down to what we can get from God and from other people. Tim Keller tells this helpful illustration, and I'll share my, my own version of it. Um, imagine my wife comes to me and says, Honey, why do you love me? And I reply, well, I just love you because you're so kind and generous. And she's, she's fishing for compliments. So she asks again, well, that's nice. Why, why else do you love me? And I say, well, okay, um, wasn't expecting this. Uh, well, you're so beautiful. I love you so much. You're so beautiful. You have a great figure as well. We're just so compatible. And then maybe the tone changes. Why else do you love me? Being a mindless bloke that I am, I kind of backtrack. Um, Okay, uh, well, maybe you come from a really wealthy family, uh, and so that's pretty great. That, That helps us out. And at this point, you don't get a why else, you just get the stare. You know, husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Thinking on your feet is not your strong point, so you you pull out some concrete material that's going to turn this conversation around. I love you because you're great with the kids. You work so hard at the office. We just work so well together. 
Here's a tip for the, the blokes, the young boys out there. When she asks you the question, why do you love me? It's a trick question. There's no good way to answer this question apart from this. I love you because I love you. I just love you for you. Because any other answer is something that I get from my wife. And so what we are really saying is that I love you because you give me stuff or you're serviceable to me. You wouldn't feel loved, you'd feel used. God loves you because he loves you. But how could he? Because all our sin was transferred to Jesus and his life and righteousness was transferred to us. This is grace. The undeserved favour given to us. Perfect right standing before God. We're free to not worry about needing to get acceptance or comfort or security from others because we already have it in Jesus. But under the law, there is need to work and earn our acceptance or security or to satisfy our needs. And so our relationships become transactional. I do this, so you give me that. And then you do that and I'll do this. How do you know you have a transactional relationship with God? Maybe it's because you have some deep-seated anger towards Him. Because you've kept up your end of the bargain, but now you're waiting for Him to keep up His. You know, for me, years ago, I said, Lord, don't let her be taken by cancer. I'll do anything. She died. And I resented God for it for most of my teen years. But God is not a vending machine. He's not a genie from a bottle. You know, on the other side, maybe we've made the bargain where you're waiting for God to do something. And then you'll come around. Maybe you've been in church for a long, long time and you've been holding back something from God. Yet until this happens, I'm not surrendering that. I'm not going to let go of that. Until they apologize, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to get baptized until this happens. I'm not going to tell people I'm a Christian until God does this. I'm not doing it until, God, you move first. But guess what? He already has moved first. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not die so that we can have a transactional relationship with him. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are under grace, not the law. So don't love God for what we can get for him. Love him for who he is. And with this experience of the grace of God, we can extend that same grace to serve one another humbly in love. Not for what they can give us in return, but simply because you love them. Full stop. No strings attached.
out of the overflow of the grace of God in our lives. We love because he first loved us. That's why. Let me conclude with this. It wasn't long into Clytus and I a dating relationship that we made the commitment to love others even when we don't feel like it. Or even when we feel like that we've got nothing else to give. We made a commitment that this was going to be our, the way that we would minister to one another around us. And at first, it's a lonely journey. You will feel lonely. If you choose to be com- and, and to commit to love other people, even in the midst of our own unmet needs, it will be lonely. Because you become more and more aware of your own desire to be loved. As you pour out your love on others, you become more and more aware of your desire and want for, for love. But we learn in that moment to be more resilient and dependent on God himself. Because he is the only one we need. And he will provide what we need when we need it. As you serve one another humbly in love, what you'll find is even at first you don't feel it, you will develop an affection for them. There is a joy that, car- that comes from carrying out the will to love. Church, I believe that we have a greater capacity to love. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. May everyone know, our community, our our friends, our family, may everyone know that we are disciples of Christ by the way that we love one another. Not out of self-protection, but out of the power of God, His grace, flowing through our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you first loved us, so much so that you would go to the cross to die in the place, in our place, for our sin, so that we might have right standing before you, God, that we might be invited into your family. So, Lord, we pray that we would more fully realize who we are in you, that we are accepted completely in you, and that we find our full need and dependence in you alone. And so, God, help us to love with a greater capacity. Help us to be a church that overflows with love. Not by our own strength or by our own power, but by your spirit in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.